It's time for midday here on a Monday before the 4th of July Independence middle of the week thing. And we'll we'll get everybody's uh, thoughts on that. That's kind of a strange thing. But we're here with, uh, yes, quickly, Brandon, what do you got? I actually had somebody over the weekend ask me when the celebration for 4th of July was going to be. When was it going to be observed? And I said, it's kind of like Christmas. It happens on the same date every year. And they thought, well, are they going to move it to a Monday? Are they going to move it to a Friday? And I said, no, July 4th occurs on July 4th every year. Every year. We try to keep that consistent. Oh, boy. Well, here we are on the round table. You just heard Brandon Bennett. We've got uh, Susan Littlefield and Bob Brogan here, too. And Susan, if you can hear me, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Oh, I tell you, we had a rough a weekend. We have got producers that are dealing with some flat corn from 60 and 70 mile an hour winds, some flooding as well over the weekend. But today is sunny. This is going to be a good day. We've got to be optimistic, but we're going to keep those crop insurance agents definitely employed a little bit longer in our neck of the woods. Well, what do you got for us today? On uh, lots of things happening for the midday. Cattle traceability it is something that is announced over the weekend in the state of Kansas. The governor will join us from Kansas to talk about what they're doing for the cattle industry and keeping track of all that livestock moving through. Ivan Rush will join Chabella Guzman coming up at 1245 and then at 117. We're going to learn more about Doan University. They've got a new degree. It's an agribusiness degree, but a twist you don't have to sit in the classroom to be able to take the classes. We've got more coming up from the farm team. All right. Thanks so much, Susan. Boy, not sitting in the classes, that's uh, that's something that might have helped out my college career a little bit. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but uh, no, nothing? Nothing. All not right. going to swing at that pitch yeah. that is low and outside. All right. That's good. Bob will have something to say about it in a moment. Brandon well, Bennett is here. What's that, Bob? Go I ahead. was just going to say, I enjoyed having classes outdoors uh Oftentimes, I would take uh, free classes, and uh, we'd sit outside and ponder the meaning of life. Obs- philosophy classes. Yes. Of course. That's good. Brandon Bennett is here with sports, filling in for Jason today. And, of course, uh, the big news was, you know, it certainly wasn't a surprise that LeBron was going to leave. I don't know, maybe not even that much of a surprise that he's going out to L.A. Not at all, especially when they had people whose professional job it was to follow LeBron James everywhere. And when news broke Saturday morning that a private plane that was chartered but not in his name had landed at an airport in the northern Los Angeles suburbs, that kind of sealed the deal. Four years, $154 million. You know, the last time I visited L.A., I didn't get nearly that much money. But, you know, he's a little better basketball player than I am. Four. 14-time All-Star, 7th on the NBA's all-time list. He has over 31,000 points. Now, his scoring average is 27.2 a game. You figure he plays 100 games a year, plus uh, with the regular season, plus the playoffs and everything. He'll be the new scoring record holder before you know it. And in baseball, the Rockies dropped their uh, final game of the series yesterday, and the Royals, of course, were swept. All right, we'll catch up on more of that. Bob, the uh, stock market's down 141 points. Uh, What do you have to say about that? Stock's falling uh, because of weak economic data from Asia and uh, an election in Mexico that's not going quite the way some folks would like it to have gone. So those are some of the stories coming up. All right, thanks so much, gentlemen. Let's keep it going here on Zuzalo Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike... As we were talking before we came on air, it's not the greatest day to look at the grain screen for a new month. 
No, it's really not. I mean, this is kind of the D-Day for the grains and the ag sector as a whole, Clay. We're only about three and a half days away from the July 6th deadline. And there was, uh, with China and the United States, I should say, about the tariffs there. And there was fresh news out over the weekend with President Trump doing an interview on Fox Business talking about not wanting to do a new NAFTA deal until after the U.S. midterm elections. And I think that really shocked the market because it kind of makes you think, that now we're going to get entrenched, you're going to go longer into this than we'd really want to, and it's going to mean more demand destruction is going to be priced into the ag sector. And I think this is what we're starting to feel the effects, and it makes sense from a standpoint of the technicals because the corn and the beans both have gone down to those major lows that we started out last week with. And then as we see in outside markets, U.S. dollar index making uh, new highs for itself on the day. No uh, nearby highs, though. But as we take a look there, is that money flow uh, just kind of flowing back in the dollar from trade concerns? Yes, it is, I think, Clay. I think that's a real good point because in the overnight market, we had a pretty decent grain trade. In other words, the corn and beans both started higher. Even by this morning's close, the uh, market was looking very strong in the wheat, whereas wheat now is the leader to the downside, I would put most of that at the feet of this shift in the dollar, and that shift in the dollar comes right back to the fact that uh, the Chinese yuan currency had its worst monthly uh, trading in June on record, and it continued to soften in the overnight trade and pull down the rest of the emerging market currencies. What do we see going on here in the mill right now that's turning it back to the positive? That's the possible bright spot here, other than the weekend rainfall coverage being a little bit more spotty in the central part of the Corn Belt, but the meal has held its 200-day moving average. I think that's a starting point. Now I think the trade's looking back at the crush margins at $1.95 a bushel. That's up near two-year highs. So, you know, given the fact that the uh, crop reports, the acreage and stocks report Friday, the market was most nervous about the soybeans, yet the beans probably got the best report net-net, I think this is where you maybe have a little bit of a bright spot. If the beans can turn it around, led by the meal, I would expect maybe some short covering in the corn and then followed by the wheat. And that's kind of what I'm looking at based upon what the noon maps also show. Let's talk livestock now. Live cattle and feeder cattle both opening the day in the green, but feeder cattle have been the only ones able to maintain triple-digit gains. Are the cattle being held back by the hogs? Yeah, I think that is the case. You know, I was really surprised with the President Trump NAFTA announcement that the hogs surged on today's opening. They've since adjusted. The bull spreading still apparent there, but now the October is now hitting new contract lows around 57, 58 today. So that's pulled down the cattle. Feeders simply have that spread going on in the corn, too, that's really helping them. And then as we take a look, just rounding out, a time that uh, just kind of sit and see what happens and wait for the fact to come around and see if this trade can get negotiated? You know, there's a couple things that I think we've got to watch in the next 24 hours. The noon weather maps, the crop conditions this afternoon, and whether that dollar can hold the resistance around that 95-25 area. That is Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us. If you'd like to talk to Mike or receive his newsletter, go to globalanalytics.biz. That's globalanalytics.biz. Mention the Rural Radio Network and get a two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter. Again, as we take a look at the trade today, the grain's turning lower as we see wheat in the red, and then in the cattle side we see triple-digit losses in the hogs, but uh, live cattle, feeder cattle, both trying to stay to the green. This is the Rural Radio Network. It is 11.43 here in the Central Time Zone, and, uh, you know, the last 
week of his uh, time here, we forced Dirk to do uh, ag weather just to you know just stick it to him one more time to see how tough it was. But we have uh, the talented Paul Perkins back here with us today. Good, thank goodness. Well, so. thank you. Yeah, uh, warming right up right now. Also, yeah. the humidity is starting to get back up there. We're seeing dew points now. This morning they were down in the upper 50s. We're now seeing dew points in the upper 60s to around 70. So. Warmer and much more humid than we saw yesterday. It was a very nice day, and that could lead to some storminess later today. Well, it looks like it, that's usually what we see with this, isn't it? Exactly. Right now, those temperatures, once again, upper 70s to the low 80s. That moisture and humidity increasing right now thanks to some south winds. Off high pressure tracking off to our east. We're on the backside of that high. That moisture going to team up with the disturbance later today and tonight for a chance at some thunderstorms. Those storms could go severe, especially if you're along and west of a line from Burwell to Grand Island and Beloit in Kansas. That's where the Storm Prediction Center places a slight risk of severe storms. Wind gusts up to 60 and hail to the size of ping pong balls will be the main threats. A map showing where that main severe weather threat is can be found on our Facebook page and also some details on some of those threats that we could be looking at. Tomorrow should be mostly dry and warmer. We'll see another disturbance approach for tomorrow night for a chance of some nighttime thunderstorms in a few scattered areas. Most of Independence Day through Sunday going to be seasonal and mainly dry. It's going to be the exception of a few days on Thursday through Friday when we see our next best chance of some widespread thunderstorms as the cold front and some low pressure track east through the region. Now in our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas, and nearly all of the nation expected to be warmer than normal this weekend through July 15th. July, the hottest month of the year, and in the early to middle part, central Nebraska daytime highs on average are in the upper 80s with average overnight lows in the low 60s. And once again, the outlook is expecting above normal on that. There is a likelihood that Nebraska and Kansas will be drier than normal for rainfall this weekend through the 15th. Key weather factors driving the markets include beneficial Midwest conditions for early July and issues with either heavy rain or hot and dry weather in Europe and the Black Sea region. Warmer than normal temperatures will continue to dominate much of the country in the next several days. By the end of the week, though, slightly cooler weather starts to arrive across the central and eastern U.S. It won't last long, though. Periodic showers will affect much of the central and eastern U.S. Locally, heavy rain may occur from the central plains into the upper Midwest and from the Ohio Valley into the northern Mid-Atlantic with that promising chance of thunderstorms by Thursday and Friday. Weekend thunderstorms and seasonal temperatures in the Midwest early this week going to ease that stress to crops after hot weather late last week, mostly below normal rain with episodes of heat the next week to 10 days will bring some drying Areas with saturated soils actually benefiting from that drier trend in the Midwest. Northern Plains areas look to have mostly favorable weather for developing corn, soybeans, and spring wheat over the next 10 days. Locally heavy rain disrupted the wheat harvest in Kansas. Rain and milder weather early this week is easing the stress to summer crops. The hotter and drier weather are indicated about 10 days out from now, so the drier and hot weather on the way. Wheat crop production in France make that wheat crop projections in France are notably lower than last year. That's due to some heavy rain during the spring growth and development period. Dry and hot weather are set to continue in South Russia and expand the next 10 days. Some much drier than normal weather also likely in eastern Ukraine, but probably not as hot. Some recent widespread rain and cooler weather will now favor crops in the central and west Ukraine and in Belarus. But otherwise, here in our area, once again, look out for that severe weather threat later today. Uh, we will keep you up to date, especially if you're along in 
west of the line from Burwell to Grand Allen and Beloit, Kansas. That's where that main severe weather threat is later today. So it kind of looks like really between the I-80, I-70 corridor, kind of in that area. That yep, looks and like then up going. into the Nebraska Sandhills, mm-hmm. basically. Wow. Yep, yeah, yep. so basically if you're in west central and central Nebraska and west and central Kansas and listening to us, uh, you are looking at a pretty good chance of some severe weather later today. I really thought, I guess until you said it, I guess I thought August was our hottest month of the year. It's nope. July, though. July, yeah. Late, the peak of it is about July 20th. That's okay. when we have our hottest day on average really in, in the area yeah about done. july 20th that's when in central nebraska the daytime high peaks out about 88 on average okay well <laughs> dirk always gave us uh inform- gave us last week information about the ganges delta so you might want to check in on that <laughs> Alrighty. see how it's going there well, this weather brought to you by coleman repair for weather anytime paul where do you go krvn.com a new traceability option for kansas cattlemen good afternoon i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network Tracking disease in cattle should be impacted by a new program announced over the weekend by Kansas Governor Jeff Collier. It's important for biosecurity and tracing any disease outbreak. This is an important policy and an important program. Cattle Trace, as it's called, is a program that allows us to trace cattle all the way out to market. And by doing this, it makes sure that we protect our cattle herd from but it also is a way of opening up markets for us and allowing us a little bit of a premium on rate. Kind of give a background as to how this was brought to you and why you as a governor and for the livestock sector see this as economically viable as well for the state. This is an important program that when we started here in the state, we are partnering with USDA. Uh, the state of Kansas is uh, contributing $250,000 agriculture or the beef industry is also contributing to it as well as the federal government and by partnering together this is a pilot project so that we get this right we want to make sure that this is convenient and affordable for producers we want to make sure that we have a great traceability program that's not built up in a hurry if there were ever a uh, some sort of disease or illness this is a, a solid program and it's focused on producers and with full participation. Well, Governor, for so many other states to be able to to see what you guys are doing and, and maybe look at this pilot program and wonder, is it something they could implement in their state as well? I think it's a great opportunity to improve uh, the beef industry uh, nationwide. It's an important export uh, for us and it's also something that here domestically, people want to know the story of their food. I love the fact it utilizes such great technology to make it just so much easier for the producer and in the end the consumer as they pick out that product. That's right and the technology is meant to be simple and that is that you can pick up uh, the cattle at various points along the food chain but in a way that that doesn't uh, demand a whole lot of effort that you have a fixed site and as you're running through there uh, you can pick up uh, where this animal is fixed. Kansas has been really hit with a variety of weather again this year. 
and I, I my heart goes out to, to cattle producers and, and sheep producers having to sell livestock because grass is drying up. What type of economic issues are you guys preparing for in the state of Kansas because of the continued drought situation for many? Well, when I first came in uh, as governor very early this year, we declared a drought uh, designation for all 105 counties of Kansas very early on. That allows us to mitigate a lot of the damage uh, that's there. Uh, the drought is kind of spotty uh, in places. You'll have one county over doing much better than their neighbor. And so it's really uh, been tough on a lot of producers. But we're working on a lot of projects uh, with folks, uh, allowing uh, more transport of hay and uh, additional measures. My conversation with Kansas Governor Jeff Collier talking about cattle traceability and, of course, dealing with weather as well in Kansas. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network. It is 1224 here in the Central Time Zone. Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Brandon. Good afternoon, Scott. LeBron James is leaving home for Hollywood and an iconic team. The four-time NBA Most Valuable Player says he agreed to a four-year, $154 million contract with the Los Angeles Lakers, joining one of the league's most storied franchises and switching conferences to try and dethrone the Golden State Warriors and grow his own legacy. The game's current best all-round player and biggest star will now lead a young Lakers team that has been overmatched in recent years while trying to rebuild, but will instantly rise with the insertion of James into the lineup. For the second time in his career, James is saying goodbye to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who drafted the teenage sensation from Akron High School in 2003. The 14-time All-Star is ranked 7th on the NBA's all-time list of points scored with 31,038 and is 4th overall in scoring average at 27.2 points a game. Aaron Hicks slammed three of the Yankees' six home runs and had four RBIs as New York destroyed the Boston Red Sox 11-1 to move ahead of Boston in the AL East. The Yankees torched David Price once again, reaching him for eight runs and nine hits in just three and a third innings pitched. In addition to Hicks, Aaron Judge, and two others homered to back Luis Severino, who was 13-2 after tossing a two-hit shutout over six and two-thirds innings. In other Major League Baseball news, the Rockies lost the final game of their series yesterday, while the Royals were swept over the weekend. Seattle Seahawks strong safety Cam Chancellor says scans on his injured neck have shown no improvement and says, quote, it's time for the next chapter, end quote. Chancellor has been awaiting further clarity on his neck, which he injured in a game against the Arizona Cardinals in November, and a posting on his Twitter account Sunday night. Chancellor never used the word retirement, but did say that his latest scans showed no healing, and he says, quote, I've played through all types of bruises and injuries at a high level, but this one I can't ignore, and it's time to take the next step, end quote. New look, same old dominance for Roger Federer at Wimbledon. The eight-time Wimbledon champion began his defense in style at the All-England Club, brushing aside his first-round opponent in just 79 minutes while playing on center court. The only thing unfamiliar about Federer were his clothes. He wore a unique low outfit for the first time after ending his career-long apparel partnership with Nike. And 21 stages, 26 tough climbs across six mountain ranges, three mountaintop finishes, and two time trials – that all will test the limits of the 176 riders who are taking place in the Tour de France that begins Saturday along the French Atlantic coast. This is the 105th edition of cycling's greatest race, a three-week marathon over a route that covers more than 2,000 miles. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
KRBN News. The National Weather Service has confirmed that five tornadoes touched down in eastern Nebraska. When the story breaks, we're on it. A Nebraska county will seek further review of a $28.1 million judgment awarded to six people who were wrongfully convicted of murder. Depend on the KRBN Newsroom. Current radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather at krbn.com. I'm Bob Brogan. I'm Scott Foster. I'm Dave Schroeder. News is what we do. Tonight in Nebraska, there is a chance of thunderstorms in central and western Nebraska. Be listening to KRVN Radio for any updates of severe activity. I'm Dave Schroeder. A coalition of Nebraska lawmakers are working on a new effort to lower property taxes despite major hurdles, including an uncertain state budget and repeated failed attempts to satisfy farmers who often pay the most. The group of rural and urban senators are looking to make changes to Nebraska's school funding formula, which has been sending less money to rural schools as farm and ranch land values soared. The loss of state equalization aid has forced many school districts to cover their costs by raising property taxes. Senator Mike Groney of North Platte says he organized the group in hopes of creating one bill that most senators are willing to support. Lawmakers have tried for decades to lower property taxes with mixed results. Officials say Lincoln police are struggling to respond to more mental health calls as mental health services are at or near capacity. Lincoln Police Chief Jeff Blymeister says that officers responded to more than 3,500 mental health calls last year. He says the department has seen a nearly 10% increase through May when compared with the same period last year. Officer Luke Bonkowitz says that while mental health calls make up about 2.5% of the calls, they tend to take longer. He says officers want to help everyone, but resources sometimes aren't available. Blymeister recently told the Lincoln City Council that an officer had a transported person going through a mental health crisis nearly 100 miles to the nearest hospital with an opening. While Independence Day celebrations are traditionally known for outdoor events, fun, food, fireworks, and family get-togethers, this year may be one for the record books. AAA predicts a record 46.9 million people will be traveling more than 50 miles during the holiday period. Defined as July 3rd through July 8th. Rose White, Public Affairs Director for AAA Nebraska, explains how to prevent delays and where to go for help if a breakdown occurs. Now, we do expect to come to the aid of more than 362,000 stranded motorists during the holiday period. Dead batteries, lockouts, and flat tires will be the leading reasons why motorists will experience car trouble. So before heading out on a trip, we do advise you to download the free AAA mobile app for iPhones, iPads, and Androids. Motorists can use the app to locate fuel outlets, find AAA-approved lodging and auto repair facilities, and request roadside assistance if needed. For details, visit AAA.com slash mobile. White says that this year's forecast represents the most travelers for an Independence Day travel period since AAA began tracking 18 years ago. Current radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. The 2018 U.S. Meat Export Federation Latin American Product Showcase was held in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic last week, June 27th and 28th. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabela Guzman. The showcase is in its eighth year, and attending the event was Ivan Rush of Scotts Bluff and a representative of the Nebraska Beef Council. He explains how USMEF is marketing beef in the Dominican Republic. Well, we've had an excellent opportunity to look at how they're marketing 
our product, how they're positioning our product, both beef and pork here. And uh, yesterday we had an opportunity to see some of the uh, product uh, beef also into a supermarket where they were featuring uh, our U.S. product in a very prominent area and watching people uh, shop. Uh, you could tell that they were making selections and oftentimes preferring the U.S. product, uh, and uh, both beef and pork. Uh. The international market enjoys a variety of cuts Americans don't often use. Rush says they are also beginning to spend more for higher quality cuts. All different varieties of uh, cuts, and that's one of the good things about export markets, that they will utilize some products that we don't necessarily uh, utilize or like in the United States, uh, tongue, liver, other things. But uh, having said that, in the higher-end uh, restaurants, uh, they still uh, prefer the, the quality uh, that we are able to provide through corn feeding, uh, which is... Uh, we're unique and specialty and great in our corn-fed beef. And so the ribeye steaks, the New York steaks, uh, the steaks uh, well-marbled, uh, medium, medium-rare, are really preferred. Another area Rush checked out while at the product showcase was lamb. The lamb is a product that the Meat Export Federation deal with, and actually Superior Farms, uh, which have a plant in Denver, are here uh, selling lamb, high-quality lamb. We're not probably going to be able to compete price-wise with Australia and New Zealand with the grass-fed lamb, but we can produce some real high-quality uh, grain-fed lamb and superior farms uh, are here. And I know mountain states are also involved. The Meat Export Federation is really trying to promote U.S. products, and, uh, and, and of course, the sellers have to be here to deliver it this to actually do the transaction and then uh, transport the product. Like the beef cuts, Rush explains what is popular in the international market for the lamb cuts. It's interesting that uh, the uh, lamb chops uh, are probably uh, one of the ones that uh, sells extremely well here. Uh, and they can have a little more labor sometimes than we do. Uh, and so uh, things like crown roast, uh, Lamb uh, prepared in different ways uh, seems to be a real good seller. And then uh, it's also interesting to me that the shank of the lamb uh, is also a good seller here uh, in that uh, and they use moist heat cookery and uh, using some spices and other things. And uh, that satisfies a group of people that don't want to pay and have the ability to pay for as much, but uh, if you ask them what their preference is and what sells best and what they have very little return or very little complaints on, they'll mention lamb chops. And, uh, and leg of lamb, of course, is of value as well. Of course, even at product showcases, there is concern about trade and tariffs. Rush says there are still sales of pork and cattle going on, but there is some unease. Certainly there's a concern, especially right now in Mexico, with the tariffs uh, being imposed on pork uh, there's about uh, uh, 55 different sellers here from the U.S. trying to sell product and about 200 buyers uh, from Latin America. And the buyers are concerned about what's going to happen to our pork. Uh, fortunately, it's uh, at this point at a lower value, and so they're still selling a lot of it. But certainly the tariffs uh, is in the background, and 
Um, it's a concern uh, to not only us as sellers, but those that are buying. At the event, Rush says he really wants to assure people about our beef, lamb, pork, and other products on quality and sustainability. We're able to produce a high-quality product, and we do it in a sustainable way, and uh, and that it's getting more important all the time to assure them that these animals have been cared for in a very uh, humane way, and uh, and that we care about the production of those animals uh, to a high degree. And if there's probably one thing that I can assure them that I'm just a person that's producing uh, beef cattle that uh, really care about our animals, and uh, we want to make sure that they understand that, and uh, and and then hopefully they uh, will not only enjoy the taste, uh, which we're unequaled of across the world, but the the new consumers, uh, the young consumers, uh, seem to be more concerned about how we. Uh, are caring for those animals and so I'm here to try to assure that and impart that information and so I hope to meet with more people. That's Ivan Rush with the Nebraska Beef Council who was at the USMEF annual Latin American Product Showcase. The showcase held June 27th and 28th is the premier event for connecting exporters of U.S. beef, pork and lamb with buyers from Central America. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Learn at Doan College goes beyond the classroom. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Doan University has introduced an agribusiness degree, but the opportunity comes to not sit in the classroom, but to be able to take the courses online. Don Benjamin is one of the instructors at Doan. I think Doan University had done some research in uh, looking at what... Uh, the opportunities were for their students as far as employment-wise and, and also looking at uh, a way to serve, you know, Nebraskans better. And uh, one of the things they come up with was uh, the shortage of, of qualified or, uh, I should say, appropriately educated uh, workforce for the agricultural industry. And it became apparent to them that one of the things that they could do, especially through their um, uh, professional studies or the, the Doan University with their campuses in Lincoln, York, and Grand Island, was to be able to offer an online course that would allow you know past students or people that maybe didn't have the opportunity to finish that agricultural business degree uh, to do that online and still be able to maintain their own jobs or you know if they're place bound or family family responsibilities tell me a little bit about um what the coursework is going to entail for this agribusiness degree through doan yeah the coursework will is a complement to the uh, outstanding business courses that doan university already has and those those courses will be in the areas of advanced agricultural futures and options uh, as marketing is, is a tremendous challenge for the producers today, and as well as, as the supporting businesses. Ag law and policy, uh, again, the rules and regulations that, that we have for agriculture in all phases uh, of, of production all the way through processing, and being able to hopefully have the background and, and know where to find the information and navigate those. Uh, also, a technology course that 
will uh, cover a wide area of, of, of data collection as as well as understanding and how we can apply and use that data to improve uh, agriculture. And then the uh, excuse me, uh, agricultural finance, because anytime you look at, at agriculture, it takes a tremendous amount of resources to uh, to fund and finance and, and to get that raw product to the consumer. And finally, an agricultural uh, sustainability course. I'll get that spit out there in a minute. You guys have got an amazing website that really breaks down all the different areas that you just talked about for this agribusiness degree. Is it something done that can be done, does it have to be done on campus? Can it be done as you do teaching over the web? Or how do folks go about getting this degree? The uh, the the actual design is for it to be online. And what we targeted uh, a lot and, and brought this about is that, and I spent a number of years teaching in community colleges, is that we had a lot of students that would get an Associate of Applied Science in Agribusiness or Associate of Applied Science in, in, in Agriculture. That is my conversation with Don Benjamin from Doan College, one of the instructors in the agribusiness area. You can find out more by going to doan.edu and selecting agribusiness. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Um. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we take a look here, not the greatest day we wanted to start the new trading month off for, for grains. No, not at all. It'll give us a nice little low here. It is, uh, you know, testing some chart levels that I think could hold here. But, uh, you know, 360, that was the level that we touched uh, back, would have been a week ago. And now it's it's right there again. So front month contract lows, you're looking somewhere down like the 330 level. That was where, where we bottomed out uh, first kind of week in September last year. And then, to be honest, we did very well. We bottomed out at like 328 and ended up trading upwards of like 350 by the time the end of the week was over. So maybe we can get that kind of love here. We're working on, working on the sixth straight week of a full red down day, red, red moves lower. So I, I wouldn't be out shorting this thing. I really wouldn't. I know it's, it seems as easy to make money to the short side now as you just simply sell it and it's just going to continue to trickle lower. But I think you got to be ready for, for moves like we saw on Friday where it tra- rallied up and traded three, 375, almost 380, which wasn't even you know 24 hours ago in a trading cycle. So um, short term, it's ugly. I think longer term, you know, things aren't as rosy on the on the crop development front as I think everybody wants to think they are. And uh, you know, maybe this trade thing will get shaken out, and uh, you know, we can get back to trading a little more fundamentals and, and good demand, which I think is is a supportive factor here. And of course, the big one that everyone's talking about today. We're just another day closer to the U.S. China trade relations on July six. Is that really playing a factor here, especially with that dollar up? I think you have to think so, and it's not just on the grain side. It's it's all commodities. Look at a market like copper. Um, you know, we trade in three ninety two ninety four. We have been below three dollars really for six months. So everything across the board, except for energies, really have, are trading six month lows. Uh, metals, uh, the indexes are doing better, but still those have had problems of late. Uh, and you'd think at some point we would we would catch a hop here, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, the whole interest rate hike thing will be interesting to see if we can uh, we can we can kind of sustain that in the second half of the year, given that I you know asset prices have really tumbled like this. Um, 
but there'll be a day where, where it all reverses, I imagine. You look at cattle, they had their day today. Hogs did okay on the front month. Uh, I think grains have some life to them. They just got to get through this, this kind of cycle, and, and I thought this week would be somewhat slow given the holiday, but unfortunately the fireworks started early. And that is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. If you'd like more information, visit DanielsAgMarketing.com. Again, that's DanielsAgMarketing.com. And as well, you can receive their newsletter this week in grain. Again, double-digit losses in the corn, soybeans, and wheat. This is the Rural Radio Network.